This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 53 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from WashedUpEmo.com. Thank you as always for listening. This episode, we welcome Garrett Klon. You know him. He's been in Texas, The Reason, New Rising Suns, Soleil, and uh, been playing solo shows along the way. So his first solo album just came out on Rise Records. And to speak about that, he trekked over to my apartment from Brooklyn into Manhattan to chat. And I really, really hope you enjoy. We had an awesome time chatting uh, face-to-face. And I think you will enjoy so if you have any questions, concerns, comments, washedupemo.com, or anything on the socials, just find me anywhere slash washedupemo. We're going to check out a song of his off the record right now, Motion for Action, off Garaklon's solo album on Rise Records.
you're here. I'm, you're actually in my fucking apartment. I, I, I'm. It's it's a pretty great it's a pretty great place, dude. I gotta give you props. It's kind of the dream apartment in New York City. To the be honest, the dream emo apartment. It is, man. I mean, it's just it's perfect size for for everything. <laughs> I hate apartments. Hurt uh, searching. Um, so uh, you know, I've had Norm on. Um, and we've been on panels, him, and I think, you know, I've always wanted to sort of chat with you about, you know, Texas and, of course, the 90s and New mm-hmm. Rising Suns, and um, and you have a new record, um, which I think is awesome, but I definitely want to go, like, way, 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 way back. Okay. Like, you know... <laughs> How far back are we going? Like, where you grew up, in Buffalo, and okay. that area, and sort of, like, did you have that catalyst to finding guitar, finding that record, and being like, yep, this is it. Um, well, Buffalo is a small town. I mean, I grew up in a, in a, in a town called North Tonawanda, about 15 miles north of Buffalo, basically Canada, like <laughs> nine miles from the border. I grew up close to the border too. Oh, okay. Not, so I get Where it. about? I grew up in Burlington. Like oh, outside of Burlington. okay. Cool. Cool. So, so you've got some, you've got some snow in your veins. You've got some long winters I, in your veins. I have some loonies in my pocket. Nice. God, loonies. <laughs> um... Music was always a part of my life. Uh, my old man was uh, really intent on... He loved country music. Um, um, uh, it was always on in the house. Loretta Lynn, George Jones, Merle Haggard, Conway Twitty, um, the Leuven Brothers, just... Uh, it was constantly on. And at a really young age, probably when I was seven or eight... Um, he basically forced me to start playing the fiddle. Really? So that was really my first instrument. No yeah, way. not a lot of people know that, I guess. It wasn't the recorder. <laughs> no, it definitely wasn't the recorder. I wish it would have been the piano. Like in hindsight, I, felt the I same way. wish it would have been the piano. But you fiddle know, it was. But, yeah, fiddle it was. Not the violin. He was very intent. He's like, you don't play the violin, you play the fiddle. <laughs> they, don't play, they don't play violin on country records, they play fiddle. <laughs> um, so that was a pretty big part of my life from about seven until I was about 13, 12 or 13. And it was, it was, a, it was a lot. I mean, I, you know, of course I had, you know, grade school back at that age. And after I had practiced three days a week and I practiced with this family, the Monaco family. And they were, it was a husband and a wife and two sons. Um, the father played piano, the, I don't remember their names, it's been so long, but, uh, <laughs> the wife played acoustic guitar, one of the sons played upright bass, and the other one played, was kind of a multi-instrumentalist, and they were, a the North Tonawanda kind of go-to band for, like, the dance hall, and, yeah. you know, for your parents' stuff, you know, back then, where your parents, like, would go to. Um, so, not only that, in the summers, my dad and that family... In the Western New York corridor, um, my dad was really big on camping, and all him and all his buddies. He was a truck driver, so him and all of his truck truck driving buddies, they loved to camp and fish and drink beer, and um, it would <laughs> basically we were on tour um, all summer, from, and during those years, from about seven to about eleven or twelve years old, it was in the summer. We would go to these various campgrounds throughout western New York, you know, around Syracuse, Rochester, into Pennsylvania near Erie. 
And we'd play these, it would be, you know, like a makeshift, a campground with like 30 or 40 campers, a makeshift stage. And, you know, during the day it would be stuff for the kids, like a magic show and a puppet show. And then, um, you know, then the kids band would play and then the gospel singers would play. Then the sun would start going down and the kids would go to bed and then like a dirty, uh, dirty comedian would play. (laughs) And then the shit kicking, you know, country band, like all cover country band would play, but... I played those stages like in the kitty parts, you know, like Mary Had a Little Lamb and uh, all the way up to when I was, you know, 10 or 11, I got a little better that, you know, I played with the kids band and stuff. So like I've got, I've had music in my blood since as long as I can remember. And then almost immediately I lost interest when I discovered skateboarding (laughs) at like 13. I just couldn't give a shit about anything else. And... I mean, was that then, was it one kid showing you like a punk record or was it a hardcore record? <clears throat> Buffalo, known for hardcore. Yeah, but it was, I mean, before punk rock, it was skateboarding for me. I mean, but I mean, I definitely discovered punk and everything else, you know, via skateboarding. Um, but definitely that left country to the wayside. Oh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying like I was like listening to country music back then. It was just, I was being forced to play it yeah, by yeah. my father. I was a kid and like. But like once I discovered skateboarding, which, you know, ultimately, of course, you know, opened the door and led me directly to punk rock and hardcore music. Um, you know, I, I just I, don't, I just lost interest in playing violin, period. <laughs> you know, like not even just anything connected to it. I was just like, I don't give a shit. I just want to skate and, you know, listen to the Dead Kennedys and, you know, look for seven inches in the back of Thrasher magazine. You know, that's all I want to do. <laughs> it's funny how many people, um, you know, had Thrasher... Or mentioned skateboarding as oh, yeah. that first outlet. Yeah, I mean the Braid guys mentioned it. Yeah, um, well that's our age group. That's, yeah. that's our age group, man. I mean like we. But it's know. interesting those cat like Maximum Rock and Roll, Thrasher, Fugazi, all these sort of few touch points over the years. You kind of find out where everyone sort of had those episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, you must hear many different stories, but it, it's cool that you can you know you, you can string it together like that. I mean skateboarding is the great connector in my life for everything you know like my best friends are either from my skateboarding years or from my musical years you know uh, or a mixture of both yeah but uh it was definitely going to shows in buffalo we were really lucky um buffalo really wasn't like a straight up destination for for hardcore shows and for punk rock shows, but it sure as shit was on the way to a it's lot of different way. places. Hell like yeah, it was. Canada, Cleveland, That's New why York Vermont City. That's stuff because of Montreal. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I, I mean, pretty much you name the great, any of the greats, and they all played Buffalo at least two or three times. Like, we were really blessed and really lucky, and we had a, a cluster of really dedicated uh, promoters who we all looked up to like they were gods at the time, and... Um, and really dedicated clubs, a complete shithole fire hazard, just, you know, hell holes, <laughs> but, um, just sanctuaries nonetheless, yeah. you know, that places that held on, um, for years and years and years, you know, um, so when you would see those shows where you like, I'm gonna, I really want to play, I really want to, no, I mean, that at first, at first. I mean, I don't know. At first, I think I was probably just, maybe just like everybody else, I was intimidated as shit being there. You know, it's dark, smoky, loud, lots of leather jackets. And, you know, me and my little, you know, zit face skate friends with our beat up boards. 
But, you know, just... What were some of those shows? Uh, God. Verbal Assault, Slapshot. Wow. uh, Chain of Strength. I remember one show was like, Chain of Strength, Gorilla Biscuits, Bold. It was like... Our heads exploded when we saw the with the flyer. Eight dollars. Yeah, no, probably less than that. <laughs> yeah, probably less. Like I remember, my mom dropped us off, and my best friend Joe's mother picked us up. It was like, you know, like it was like guys, we we really lucked out. Every, I mean, it was Buffalo. You know, maybe I should rephrase that. It wasn't. It didn't start out as as a destination city, but it definitely did end up as one. And it's still. I mean, it definitely grew into one, and still is one because you know there's so many great bands that are still coming out of that city. But well, whatever. Um, yeah, um, I remember a Sick of It All show really well. <laughs> Huge riot. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, yeah, but uh, we were blessed. You know, we had no shortage of of shows to go to back then. And then what? You know, when did you part? When did you pick up the guitar? When did you start saying I want to I want to play stuff? And... Uh, well, I my first band, I I wasn't. I didn't say I didn't play any instruments. I just sang. It was just a proper foot stomping, shit kicking hardcore band, uh, and I just sang. Um, and I did, went through a couple of those in Buffalo, and then uh, really I didn't start playing guitar. I didn't pick up a guitar until about two or three months after Texas is the reason started. Um, oh wow! When, I, when Texas first started, I was just singing. And that's um, when you were in. You had moved to New York. But, yeah, I just, I had moved, yeah, I had moved here to, it's a long-winded story, I don't know if we've got time to get into it, but I, I, I said, yes, I moved to New, York, to New York to start Texas as the reason. Yes, that's the short answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can tell the story. Oh, no, I mean. It is, it is, a, it is a podcast, it's not like we're, we got commercials. No, I mean, it's, <laughs> it was, it was, a, there was a comedy of errors in getting here, it, it, uh, there was just a pretty, a string of pretty wildly dramatic events that led me here. Um, but now that I think about it, I think anybody who's moved to New York probably has same the same one. fucking story. So, you know, just a little different. So, yeah. Getting fucked over at one point. It, it become, arriving broke and yeah. staying broke. Okay, good. So good. everybody's yeah. done it. <laughs> so I'm not the only one. <laughs> did you, um, you'd mentioned before we started the working at... Equal Vision. Where you, did you do that as soon as you got here, or was it? Yeah, yeah, I did. I moved right in. Um, I was in Copper, and we were we had we had gotten signed to. Duh! Why am I such an idiot? <laughs> of course, Copper. <laughs> Fuck! I want yeah. to talk about Copper. Oh well, Copper. Yeah, <laughs> they kicked my ass out, and I moved to New York City. I mean, that, there's the therein lies the drama that I skipped over, <laughs> and of course, a woman, a girl. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was yeah, Copper. It was. That was Copper a... is amazing. <laughs> Please listen to them. <laughs> yeah, we did put out one pretty great record. But uh, anyway, yeah, so I was in a band called Copper in Buffalo, New York. They kicked me out. of My best friend, Joe, kicked me out of the band. Joe, I still love you. He's still currently and has always been my best friend and will, to, will continue to be. <laughs> but, you know, he had a, obviously a momentary lapse in judgment. Uh <laughs> Yeah, so they kicked my ass out, and I was like, you know what, fuck this, I'm moving to New York. <laughs> and I had met Norman and Daly prior, you know, that same friend, my friend Joe. We had kind of already started booking shows at that point, like right before I left to, to move here. And we had booked a couple pretty, pretty, uh, we had moved on to booking a couple bigger, bigger shows, excuse me. 
And um, I had met Norman when he was in shelter, and I'd met Daly when they were in Resur- when he was in resurrection. And I think they had all stayed at my mother's house at one point. Oh, wow. And uh, my mom was a waitress, so it's like and uh, worked nights. So if I put on the show. It was pretty much guaranteed that everybody was staying That's at my right house. That's shit. But you go <laughs> it's eat too. It's kind of a package deal. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, you know, you like, were having you were having a night bed and breakfast. Yeah, I mean, and, and, I, and now that I think about it, it's, it was kind of very European of me because that's kind of how they do it over in Europe over the years. You know, like you know, the promoter generally. You know, God bless them. That's why I've spent half of my touring life overseas. But, you know, the promoter takes you back to his place. But anyway. Um, I had met them and I had moved, so I moved here and uh, I paid my rent by stuffing, you guessed it, copper records in the mail order section of Equal Vision, the band that kicked me out. That's how I paid my rent and I slept on, I slept in Tim Owen's room. This was before J Tree Records, Tim Owen, before he started. He was, it was Tim Owen, Lenny Zimkus, I had a top bunk and I forget, probably Norman, Norman was in there as well. But it was this. What years was that again? 94? Yeah. Yeah, right around there. Right, right around there. Uh, I mean, it was a revolving door, that place. I mean, it was this huge, beautiful, just stunning, like lived in proper Chelsea loft. You said 26. Tw- 24th Street. 24th. Between 24th Street and 6th Avenue. Like right above where it's a, I think it's a, a proper like fancy parking lot but it used to be just an empty lot and it used to be one of the first spots where they did the Chelsea flea market but you, it was the top floor I think the windows are still there and oddly enough when Equal Vision moved out a mutual friend a bunch of friends moved in there and lived like a whole different existence in there wow so just you like, walk in and you're like wait a minute oh yeah it was totally like black and white <laughs> this is not Krishna yeah no it definitely wasn't Krishna <laughs> but yeah and yeah, that's how I got connected with Equal Vision and uh, with that scene. And um, that's, yeah, like... What about that, like, I mean, the, the you know, this obviously hardcore and then post-hardcore. And I kind of called you guys post-hardcore at the time. That's what it felt like. It was hardcore kids or punk kid doing something later that was singing and still aggressive guitar. Okay, That was like it. kind of, you know, saying, it's, you know, what did you guys feel when that you know first thing was coming together what you I mean the, the band yeah like what was this like what was like the temperature yeah, like what was or like, a, the, like the catalyst to this or was there a record you always listened to or was it well they texas is the reason was already a band they that norman daly and scott had already thought up texas is the reason they were trying try, they were already trying singers out ah. i was like third in line man wow i was batting cleanup Norm. Save the best for last, man. I say. <laughs> I mean, it's. I guess what? How about you coming into the situation and hearing them and hearing the songs? Or, well, to be honest, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> I mean, you got, it's you know, we had talked about it a lot. Norman and I spent a lot of time on the phone, and we wrote each other. Um, when I was living in Buffalo, I. I'd, I was going back and forth visiting a girl in Baltimore and I was stopping in New York in between. That was basically the gist of what my life was like back then. Um, and when I come to New York, I'd hang out with Norman for a little bit, meet the Equal Vision guys, and then I'd go home and then, you know, we'd talk on the phone and send each other faxes and, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of stuff. I mean, I guess we, we all had similar things in mind. I mean, Norman and I, like, our biggest connector back then was Ida 
and the Red House Painters. Like that's what nice. Norman and I connected on the most and immediately. Um, I've, you know, once I made the decision to move here and you know, really get going. I mean, I just, I, I moved here. I moved into Equal Vision. I moved into the loft and then we started practicing. We started practicing in New Jersey at, at Chris Daly's house. So there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't any, there wasn't like a planning stage or anything. It was very much, it kind of started a pattern for me of just finding something that I was interested in, sinking my claws into it, and holding on and going and just going forward with it until it was time to either you know do something until it was time to do something new, and that's essentially what the band that that's essentially what Texas did. I mean, we we met up and you know basically the first handful of practices we had that EP like written. Yeah, you know, um, most of which was written without me playing guitar. <laughs> <laughs> and then the um, why didn't EDR put it out? I never even thought about that. You were so close with them, and then a West Coast label that <laughs> um, Rev put it out. I think that, I mean they, they were definitely in the running f- in the running for it. Uh, I mean, you know, Revelation. You know, you know, you know, all glorious to Equal Vision and everybody connected with them. I mean, they're, they're beautiful people doing a, a beautiful thing. Um, but you know, Revelation was just kind of a holy grail back yeah. then at the time. It was and, big, and you know, it was. It was big for a couple, you know, for years before, obviously before Texas got on it, yeah. and it was a part of. It was such a, it's a, such a common denominator. I mean, our, our the, the four of us and te- the, the four boys in Texas were all so different in so many different respects, but, but like the, the the few things that, that that were like common denominators and common connectors for us, were such big parts of our lives. Um, I think that's why it la- That's why it was good for a little while like you know we you know we we all had just you know crazy respect for revelation and all the records that was on it and um you know we just it was kind of like you know revelation maybe want maybe revelation would want it you yeah, know, yeah you never yeah. know maybe they'd and like they it did. and then they did yeah. wow yeah. and then the um i mean you guys i mean it's nuts to think an ep and a full <laughs> rec and a full length have you know continued on yeah ben you know, a record that people reference, then things that people have wanted in 2006, and then in 2012, you know, having these, you know, have you, I mean, you've obviously talked about it a lot in docs and things like that, but, you know, in those early days, you know, it was such a short time as the band. Yeah, yeah. And then to have these, it, but it, it just, it was like, not like a lightning in a bottle per se, but something like that, where it just... Yeah, all I mean, the right things were there, and you kind of mentioned that where it's like you all were different but connected. And yeah, I mean, it was definitely we were definitely of our time. I mean, for sure, it was, we were definitely a product of you know the early to mid nineties in that sense. But I mean, there's you know none of us had any inkling at all, you know, of of any sort of longevity or. Um, Ten years down the line, fifteen, twenty years down the line. I mean, we would have literally pointed at you and laughed in your face like a Chevy Chase outtake or something. Yeah, yeah. Like we would have made you feel really bad about it, you know? And, but at the, you know, at the same time, you know, you know, I was, you know, wildly aware of, um, 
you know, the impact that it had on me, you know, and, and, and you know, the four of us as like a, a tribe, you know, like as a, and like the band, like the people that we surrounded ourselves with, like our New York City brothers and sisters that were like, we ran like a fucking wolf pack back then. It was tight. And, um, you know, it, it was, you know, when you start opening, you know, you start opening up for, for Quicksand at the Academy after, you know, a couple months of playing shows like that wasn't lost on me. You know, like it wasn't all just like, you know, shows are getting bigger. You know, it wasn't just like that. You know, there was a lot of heaviness involved in it as well. Um, you know, uh, I mean, some, I mean, those shows too were, and I, I talk about this a lot, but it's like you could play with a hardcore band. Then you're with like an indie band. Or they're all on the same show. Yeah. And you could play with both. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It was it was okay. It wasn't these package like yeah, everyone's yeah. a chunk like a, band. Cookie cutter sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it was a beautiful thing. Yeah. That still happens though. It does, that but shit I'm still saying, happens. It I've does. Witnessed, I, I've witnessed it. It does, <laughs> but I was saying like that that was it was these scenes that were connected and it was almost like the hardcore guys supported if you had left the hardcore band and did yeah. something quieter. It just seemed like there was yeah, there's uh, a mutual like respect you know. and reciprocation to it. You know, yeah. there was, yeah, for sure there was. Um, and the, um, I mean, especially for that, um, you know, time period. Was there any interesting things that you remember that you're like, wow, that would have never happened today, or wow, the internet could have made that worse, or I don't know. Uh, there, I know it's open ended, but just any of those, you know, if it is the, that, you know, that quicksand show, or was there other things that. You know, you kind of felt, wow, this is this is awesome, or this is something I want to keep doing. I don't know. Um, I mean, you just you make me think of like the last Texas is the reason show that we played like as a band back then in Aachen, I think, in Aachen in Germany. It's just it's it's strange to think about how. There, like, not only was there no fanfare attached to it, but I mean, you just mentioned like something that couldn't happen now. You know, I'm just, I'm just like the beauty of it wasn't like there was tweets going on. Yeah, like the, just the beauty of <laughs> the beauty of it. Just and I don't know. I I, I always I don't I, we we've made no. It's not like it's not a secret that we kind of the band like kind of like thrives on drama. Like there was always a bit of drama attached to Texas is the reason, and we all definitely milked that aspect of it. But you know, I mean that that last show, it was kind of like anti-drama. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like it just. I mean, I didn't know that the band was over, but the three of them did. Wow. You know, and um, it's. You know, like, I don't think that that sort of thing could have happened now in this, in this day and age when it's just, you know, all information is just right there, you know, no matter how late at night it is or how early in the morning or how, uh, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. It does. It does. I mean, that, 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 that show gets talked about a lot where it just kind of, you know, ended, um, yeah. um and you know, you're right that, that time it's not like. There's someone tweeting. There's someone yeah. Instagramming. There's. It was just another show. <laughs> just another. And there show. wasn't that you didn't get your phone after and started looking at it, being like, "Oh, look at yeah. that." It was. 
you could kind of... I, I miss that. Yeah, and I know that sounds old, but I just... I miss just having those moments and it happened. Yeah, they just come and they I go. I didn't need to Instagram it. I yeah, didn't yeah. need to do anything to it. Yeah. No, I, I, I take that, man. I, I, I take it. So, but if it had happened now, that would have been, you know, a tweet late at night. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Early in the morning here. 12 or 1 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I think just moving from Texas to the next band that you did, New Rising Suns, um, you kind of had a similar experience with a major label two um kind of two in a row where you guys were for new rising suns it was virgin and you know yeah. all stuff going on and i'm familiar with those labels and yeah those, i've seen those bands and yeah i mean it was an interesting it was an interesting run uh i mean we definitely got a taste of what you know like the big machine was like i mean and texas you did demo stuff too right before for new rising like wasn't it like group we, os stuff we did. We did, we put out we put out a, I think a four a three or four song EP on Grape OS and then and maybe one one other single in, from the album but the album was never properly released uh, and then actually there's a, there's a cluster of demos that we did after that even I don't have like, oh wow I, I don't have those I don't know who has the four songs I think we did them shit God we did them in a studio above. Um, where Tower Records used to be on Broadway. Broadway, like West 4th, the old one. It used to be upstairs from there. He's at East 4th or what? It's well, wherever Tower oh, Records yeah, yeah. used to yeah, be yeah, yeah, Broadway. Broadway. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that building going east. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was short-lived, but um, a shitload of fun. You know, uh, I, a lot of fun. There was a bit of money f- thrown around. And, you know, like rent was paid for a while. And... Uh, Guitars were bought and, you know, it was, you know, we spent a lot of time writing and a lot of time, like, t- working on those songs. Um, Ted Nicely, who had made, like, Fugazi records and Shudder to Think records, came on to produce it. And, wow. Um, you know, it was, we were in these really great, beautiful studios making this really beautiful record that I, you know, I think it's a, it's a real shame that it never got its, that it, that it never got its due. Uh but you know, it dissolved. <laughs> it kind of dissolved away just as fast as it started. It was kind of doomed from the beginning. How come? I think just the climate of where we were sitting. And uh, what the music. You know, like doing. just like, you know, our record was coming out in between, you know, a Lenny Kravitz record and a Janet Jackson record. You know, like there was really no chance in hell that it was going to happen. But you know. Th- th- you know, at that time, there was still that that kind of major label bravado of you know just, I mean, they spent three hundred thousand dollars on our record, like the whole all told, like demos, studio time, gear, producers, singers, all that shit was like. What did they grand. say at the end? The short version was just like, nah, no thanks. Wow, and that's it. Like literally, it was such a non-issue for them. And this was like, this was like. Late 90s. 99. 99. Yeah. Yeah. It was 1999. Kind of right before everything went. Yeah, belly up. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I got to... It was... We didn't play that many shows. Mostly New York. We played the shit out of New York. We played every corner of the city. (laughs) Literally. Every late night, dark corner of the city. Uh, 
But and we went, we went, we had two really great runs. We went out with Iggy Pop for a while, and we went out with the Manic Street Preachers. Like, oh, like that's awesome! Those perks of like being connected to the machine, so to speak, like those perks were fucking great because, you know, getting a taste of you know to pay, having being able to pay your rent is 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 great. But in the end, it's just fucking money. You yeah. know, I can make that. You know. You know, waiting tables or yeah. at, at that age, you know, like being a bartender. But, you know, to be out and playing, you know, big rooms with people like that in front of, you know, you know, a thousand people who truly give a shit about music. You know, it was, it was, it, it was. What were the rooms for like Manic or Iggy? Were they like? Big, big, man. Like Paradise in Boston. Wow. Two nights at the Bowery for Manic Street Preachers. Uh, big rooms like uh, St. Andrew's Hall in Detroit like they were big fucking rooms and they, they they were big boys like traveling with fucking Hammond organ with a Leslie speaker in the back like a, a road case for the Leslie like it was big time <laughs> leaving us champagne bottles after the gigs it was we were like about as happy as we could be believe me and we were all like grew up with you know the NME and the Melody Maker and all that shit so like to be out with the Manic Street Preachers and you know, playing those kinds of rooms, and you know, it was a lot of fun. I mean, not making a dime, but you know, still just fuck like it. fuck it, who cares? <laughs> like being able to, you know, afford to tick off like that. Yeah, it was fun. It was it was a very very good run, and it is a fucking great record. So all you internet sleuths out there, I think do- Trevor posted it on your alt press. Oh, did he? Interview. Oh, good. I think so it's the there. whole thing's in there. Good, because it's a, it's a it's a good record. Somebody needs to. Smash that shit out on vinyl. <laughs> uh, so I mean that that ending, um, and then right into Solea. Yeah, yeah. Immediately into it, um, I after well while the the sons were together, I'd gotten married, and uh, and then subsequently divorced, like in almost the same time frame. So for the first time since I'd moved here, I moved home to Buffalo for about a year and a half. Uh, just to kind of lick my wounds and save some money, and um, but I had I had already, you know I had met Sergi from Sam I Am and from Solea. Uh, I had met him in the Texas days when t- our, the, the first time Texas toured Europe, we opened up for Sam I Am for like five weeks. Wow! It was kind of like rock and roll college for us. Right, I was, I was about to say you probably Truly. learned so much shit. <laughs> I, I may, one day I might like write some sort of memoir, but like the shit that I saw and learned on that tour, what was like? I one? could fill a book. Um, say one. Oh my god! Say there's one so many. There's, there's so many. Well, there was one time in Liverpool that the drummer at the time of Sam I Am. I mean, they went through drummers like Spinal Tap went through drummers. <laughs> uh, uh, to protect the innocent, I'll leave the name out. <laughs> The drummer at the time got into kind of like a verbal back and forth argument with Chris Daly, the drummer. And from across the room, the drummer of Sam Am threw a ride cymbal at Daly. Oh and it came at him like, 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 a, like, a, like, a, like a, in a movie. It missed yeah. him, of course. It missed him, but it was, it was that level kind of stuff. Like not being funny, but like there was lots of nakedness on that tour. We were all in one bus. There was like 11 of us in one bus. The bus had the, the name on the side of the bus said Beat the Street. <laughs> Our driver was named Tony the Tiger. I mean, I could go on and on, dude. It was, it was. We're going to have one of the most two. <laughs> enlightening <laughs> five weeks of my life. Then, I mean, plus it was fucking Sam I Am. I mean, yeah. we all knew and loved Sam I Am. And 
So, but uh, anyway, yeah. So I'd known Sergi <laughs> intimately, and we had always talked about playing music together. Like especially towards the end of Texas is the reason Sam I am at the time were kind of on the way of on their way to one of their many kind of you know hiatuses, and <clears throat> the timing was right. I was living in Buffalo, so rent was really cheap, and um, could fly back and forth between San Francisco really cheap. So that's essentially what I did for about the first year and a half of Salem. I just flew back and forth between Buffalo and San Francisco. Uh, Sergi was living north of, he was living in the Bay Area, and uh, on his own in this big, be- in this beautiful house on a hill. Wow. With kind of like a ramshackle, <laughs> mid-90s recording studio rig kind of set up in one of his guest rooms. And uh, I, remember, I, remember, I remember him picking me up so well. He picked me up. He had a bowl packed. It was like in the front console of his, of his car. It was just a tiny little pot bowl. And it was just one little tiny bud was in there. And he had that ready to go. And I remember I was really excited because I had just bought a, a record by a new band called The Strokes. I had, this is it, is this it? And then he's like, what's that? I, I thought I read about that. What's that sound like? So I remember that trip really well. Wow. Um, but yeah, we wrote the first record that trip. It, pretty much. We wrote it in, his, in our pajamas, um, you know, barefoot at his house in Northern California. Um, we wrote the first like, couple EPs worth of songs. And then, yeah, it just kind of, that band existed between me being in Buffalo and Sergi being on the West Coast. Ultimately, Sergi moved down to L.A. and that's where he still is. But, um, yes, you know, so it it kind of, you know, it it moved around a little bit. But, um, yeah, we managed to shut out two records, which is kind of, I think it's like the the most I've ever put out consecutively (laughs) in my career. Two. (laughs) Uh, by the same artist, by the same in the same band, but um, and that was a weird time too for, you know, that kind of music. It was, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we were. It was almost like, it was again. You were sort of if you were in Virgin and New Rising Sons, and you were in between Lenny Kravitz, you're now in between, you know, mechanic. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. It was weird. I mean, hence us really almost kind like almost exclusively existing in Europe. And Japan, uh, you know, like we, our records mostly came out over there. They were like in limited release here in the U.S. for the most part. And, you know, like more than half of the miles we put on our, you know, either our, you know, uh, on airplanes or in vans were in Europe or or in England or in Japan. Was it that they had not, actually I really want to know, is it because they weren't, they didn't pick up on that? hair metal stuff yet or was there know. a whole niche that's still I don't know was like older like what was the crowd young was it older was it what Texas do you mean? fans like where like like you were you were still getting crowds in Europe and Japan not as much in the US were they was well it just I mean it was hit and miss I mean major cities you know I mean you know thank you know thank god I mean Texas you know it, it's it's kind of Texas made enough waves in our little bubble that, yeah. you know, we all exist in here in washed up emo land, you know, like, you know, like Texas made enough waves to where, you know, like in the major cities, I, you know, the interest is still, sometimes it's there, you know, I'm not, I don't want anybody to think that I'm selling it as if it's there all the time or anything. I'm just saying like, 
you know, so laid, there's little niches and yeah, there's but you know, there's large swaths of land where there's like it's a barren wasteland, dude. <laughs> and you know, I know and love and I know those worlds intimately. You know, it's it's just as much as part of me as the good cities and the good areas are. You know, truth be told, you know, I've spent more time there than I have anywhere else, yeah. like out in the fucking, you know, the fading frontier or whatever. Uh, but you know, like we had we had a couple good runs when we were opening up for bands here in the states, but I don't know. I mean, just in Europe, I don't know. Like it's just it's there is still just a general base level interest in going to see a live band and buying the record and waiting in line and talking to the talking to the bass player and inviting everybody to go for a walk and go get a fucking kebab and then sleep over at somebody's house you don't know they let you take over their house completely and you wake up and there's this big huge breakfast waiting for you and then like they give you the perfect directions to get to the highway and then i don't know like we just it's just it just was happening for us over there you know like in in a soleo is kind of the beginning of my i don't know i mean i don't even know how to put it like my like 15 year quasi residency in Europe, you know, because I just almost exclusively just toured over there, you know, like not to say that I wasn't actively looking and like, you know, kind of begging and pleading to be playing shows over here. And like, whenever something would come up, I always say, yeah, but it was also a weird time here. Yeah. 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 It definitely was. But, um, we had a good run, put out two really good records, I think. And, um, covered a lot of ground, you know, like, so Leah definitely kind of kicked off the, my, my appetite for Texas started it. So Leah kind of nailed the coffin on my, like just appetite for endless, endless touring and, you know, uh, adventure. And then at that time, and I might, you know, there's so much stuff that, you know, I probably forgot or missed out. There was a gap between the next thing, Atlantic Pacific. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know... I, I, what were you doing in the meantime? Were you... Was it focusing on, you know, art? Or were you doing other things? Or was it still just... Just kind of floating around. Um, it really wasn't that long. It was probably only... So Leia probably called it quits in around 2005. Around 2005. The end of 2004, 2005. And then 2006 was the 10-year reunion. So it's like... As soon as that ten that the for that first Texas reunion thing happened in two thousand six, that's when I started doing the solo stuff that kind of morphed into Atlantic Pacific. So there really wasn't that much time off. Uh, you kind of put me on the spot. My memory is shit. The older that I get, I can't remember exactly where I was living at the time. <laughs> two thousand five. I had just moved back to New York City. I had just moved back, um, and I was. Doing, I was I was actually just starting in the in the, my real job in my real life. I was just kind of starting in that world in like the live event production world. Just kind of starting to be a stagehand and like oh. a, like a a neck down grunt, you know, like unloading trucks yeah. and building stages and stuff like that. Um, that's and like that's that that that's a pretty busy, uh, active world here in New York City. I'm sure as you know. Um, so yeah, that kind of took over my life for about a year. Got my footing in that world, and then... With the Texas reunion. Yeah. That, that was fun. I left Thanksgiving early. Uh, my parents were really bummed. They're <laughs> yes. like, where are you going? I'm like, well, see, there's this thing. It's at Irving. There's this gotta... band. They're called Texas, but they're not from Texas. They're yeah, really from New York. Anyway, Mom, I gotta go. <laughs> Stuffing was great, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> but I need to hear Antique. 
Um, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, and that, I mean, that was really special. I think I kind of, I mean, I love the 2012, you know, Rev stuff, but like, I just yeah. thought that was, it was unexpected. Yeah, it definitely was. <laughs> it definitely was. It was, yeah, that was a very exciting time. Uh, yeah, that's, I guess maybe a. I remember you smiling. That's, I mean, I, there's yeah. a few things you remember from shows. Yeah, yes, yeah. you remember certain things, but I just remember you, I could see you like taking it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot. I mean, it was. You know, I, I think I think I had spent just enough time away from Texas at that point. Like I had spent just enough time away and had just enough ex- other experiences with you know a couple different bands at that time. I guess what two other bands um, to really kind of look back and go, oh shit, well maybe. Maybe we were onto something back then, like because you know, yeah. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It's like when Texas was a band. I, like we talked about this. Like, you don't think we don't we didn't think about that stuff. It was just like Do when's the tour? next fucking show? Yeah, when's the next show? Are we gonna record again? We're not. You're being a fucking dick. You're being a dick. No, fuck you. Fuck you. Let's drive. <laughs> Who's driving? I don't want to fucking drive it. It was that. It was that for two years, and then we didn't talk for four years. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a lot of I love yous, of course. I want to I want to really point that out. There was plenty of I love yous, um, but yeah, like I think at that time it was, you know, like getting the emails and the text messages of like you know X amount of tickets sold, like, and you know, like in between, like working at that time I was working like ninety hour weeks at the at the venue, like overnight strikes for 10 hours and like wow. unloading trucks in the in, in the rain and like in between I'm getting text messages just, just like night number one uh, first so night's bad. almost sold out I'm just like you've got to be fucking <laughs> kidding me like unloading a truck and like building a stage for some other band or something yeah. that's gonna play and yeah and then you know then we you know we blocked out a bunch of time for rehearsal and you know, you ask anybody who, who's ever played with me. I love, I love a good rehearsal. You know, I love practice. I, I love getting in a room and like dimming the lights and like organizing everything and getting everything just right and then playing until we basically stop dropping like flies. Like that's how it's kind of one of my very happy places. But like I clearly remember we blocked out a room, like a rehearsal space in the city that we used like a space that we used to rent from back in the 90s because you know none of us we couldn't afford a rehearsal space back then but, uh, in the 90s but I'm talking about like in 2006 when we were rehearsing for that first run like even just the the act of blocking out a room for 4 days in a row like going back to the same room three other nights in a row felt so like god damn this is what it feels like yeah. doesn't it you know like I'd work during the day I'd do my thing I'd be covered in fucking soot and whatever else and then you know, go home, take a shower, strap on my, you know, my little gig bag and then go and, you know, at the time thinking we're going to play one beautiful night, you know, to like a handful of people who get into Irving Plaza and And then then it turned into two (laughs) and then it's two (laughs) and then, you know, yeah. And then from there, it's just, you know, it was just like a, it was just like a dream. Did it? It was like a living dream. Did it feel, did it, I don't know, because having Soleil, you know, kind of New Rising Suns, having all these sort of like start and stops and then having that again did it fill you up a little bit more to you know oh man I've walked out there like I fucking own the place I mean I couldn't have been any more in the zone on those but even after 
Oh God, yeah. I mean, it just it set it set the tone for honestly for the last ten years. Like I, That's I have rad. not stopped since that weekend. Like wow. it's, it's I have not. That's really fucking rad to hear. Yeah, I really I haven't. I mean, it's you know it's all interspersed with like real life work and family shit, of course. But it's like I have, you know, I got off that stage and you know I I started doing. I started what, I mean, there's songs that I wrote during that period that are on that record that I just gave you. There's two songs from that period on that record. Which um, ones? Um, the, well, Remnants of the River and Motion for Action. Those were written around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, it, it, it was, it all kind of, that, that started, that, what that turned into was Atlantic Pacific. Like, I wasn't quite ready yet to... You know, I don't think my, I don't know. I just wasn't quite ready to just, you know, slap my name on it just yet. You know, because, uh, I don't know, just how I just wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not still, as you can see, my name's not on the fucking cover of this record either. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very small on the spine. <laughs> and they made you put a My mother actually it. gave me some shit for that, but I don't know. It's just, <laughs> that's how my brain Damn works. <laughs> that's how my brain works. But yeah, um, yeah. So the Atlantic Pacific stuff. I don't you know, think there's not a lot out there. Really one full it. record and a handful, like a smattering of uh, singles and EPs. And, and we, we, we definitely, we, we, like, we grabbed a hold of the internet a lot. Like there's a lot of shit floating around the internet. You know, a lot of little one-off stuff that we did. But um, we made one, what I think is a, is a really beautiful record. You know, John and I, John was, John was like the fifth Phantom member. I don't know if you know John Hergeth. I do not. You know, I, he was basically the fifth Phantom member of Texas is the reason. He was uh, Chris Daly's childhood friend and was there from, like, literally the inception oh, wow. on. And, you know, on every tour, tour managed and, like, just did everything for every tour. And, um, you know, was in Jets to Brazil at a moment in time. And, you know, John was, you know, when I spoke about our wolf, my, like, our little wolf pack, like, John was, you know, very yeah. much entrenched in that. But, um you know, so John and I had always been close and pretty much the same drill as every other fucking time something else ground to a halt. It's like whoever I was kind of close with at the time I was just like, hey, what are you doing? Let's get in the band. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happened with Atlantic Pacific. We started off as a duo with a computer and made a pact with each other to, it was basically a vehicle to travel and tour. Like we just wanted to put out as much as we can as often as we can and tour as much as we can. That, that was basically our motto. We I just like wanted it. to be out. Land Pacific, go between the coasts. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we, we definitely didn't limit it to the coasts. We were, you know, thankfully, again, we were able to spend you know, a good chunk of our time overseas. And, um, you know, just, it just the, the support that comes from, you know, so, our world, you know, that, that spread overseas over there, like the punk rock, indie rock, post rock, whatever the fuck you want to call it, like that world, it's, it's just so nurturing and, you know, self-efficient, you know, like I've, I've I, just myself and I know of countless other, you know, singer songwriters or other bands or, you know, acts, however, whatever you want to call them 
that routinely go over there just as often as I have, you know, without a record. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been over there without without wow. one single thing on a fucking merchandise table. Not a button, not a sticker, certainly not a seven inch with my name on it or anything like that. Granted, I have gone over times where, you know, the table's full. But um, still, it's like some of my best tours ever in my life, even up there with some of the Texas stuff that I've been in, lucky enough to be involved with have been when I've been on tour with nothing to sell. You know, just just the songs. Like, literally just the songs. And a tip jar or whatever. If I was around. lucky, you know, if I was lucky, sometimes, yeah, a tip jar. But, you know, usually dinner and a place to stay. Yeah. You know, that, that, like, the, the logistical things. Some gas money, dinner, and a place to stay. Yeah. And a bit of weed every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> but that sort of, you know, those things are, I just think how you make those connections... It what you know it maybe it started as a, a text or a Facebook message or an email or a fax whatever it is but that you know you saw that guy in that town you made that visual connection yeah. the next time you come in yeah you're gonna have that same yeah 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 I mean I've the last three or four years I've gone to Europe sometimes twice a year over wow. the, over the last couple str- the, the last like five years been really blessed and really lucky to have been going over there a lot and. You know, it's usually the same. It's I mean, not usually. It's the same promoters. You know, and it's one of the main guys that I've been lucky enough to work with um, is the same guy who booked Texas as the reason's first wow. European tour, Philip Stira, with four artists. I mean, he books everybody. I mean, and he's still doing it. He's still. I mean, and you know, he's still. He'll book up to like the Backstreet Boys and Kylie Minogue, but at the same time, he's still booking. The judge tours, you know, the gorilla biscuit tours, and then you know That's he'll awesome. he'll throw in, you know, like sixty, seventy seater Garrett Lawn tours because you know of our connection and because of our just you know that common thread that you know I think really just ties all of us you know in this bubble that we all exist in together. It's just that note. I always <laughs> thought it was you know you know you just it's not like. I mean, you, you see someone fall, you pick them up. Yeah, like yeah. That sort of, yeah, you yeah. just kind of have that ingrained it's in your head. It's pretty basic, isn't it? It's pretty basic. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty black and white. <laughs> um, the Two other things, and, you know, I wanted to bring up. The felled trees stuff. Yeah. I forgot. You know, there's, there's a lot of shit. I, I forget, and I'm glad that there's the internet. <laughs> but, like, there's so many Brad bands a part of this. I mean, yeah. well, Carl from Last Days of April, I'm just reading these. Yeah. RX Bandits, you know, Blair from Jealous Sound, Sam I Am, Thrice, well, that, Surge, like, fuck, that's like... Well, that was, I mean, that, that project was... And for Dinosaur Jr., who's like... Fully endorsed. Yeah! Like, tweeted it, blasted it, like, yes! fully endorsed. <laughs> um, I mean, that essentially, that was, what that was originally supposed to be was a... No shit garage band project between me and Sergi. That's what the the impetus of that of Feld Trees was me and Sergi, him doing the, all of the music in Los Angeles, sending it to me, and me doing all of the vocals in New York City. That was the plan. And it just so happened that it started to coincide with the Texas is the reason with 2012, 2013, yep. like that final run. And also coinciding with you know a crumbling relationship that I was in. So I was, it was a pretty, I was pretty, I was, I was in the weeds as they say, I was kind of in the trenches. So 
I just Sergi kept on saying he's like can you do it can you do it now okay well, what about now can you sing uh, can you sing this now <laughs> and you know after like back and forth with Texas stuff he like we all we, he's I mean he kind of took the idea and ran with it um and got all of these other amazing, you know, like wildly talented, you know, uh, brothers and sisters involved in it. And, you know, it, it definitely just that old saying, it just, it grew legs yeah. and it just fucking took off. And, um, I mean, like it, crazy it was, press. Yeah. Yeah. It, we got a good push for it, man. It was good. It was, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I actually did, <laughs> I did the vocals for that. The day, I did it the day after, the day after the last Texas is the Reason show at Fonda. Oh, wow. I did it the morning after in Santa Ana, California. Yeah. The day after. Yeah. I like that. In one take, I think. (laughs) Serge, you could probably back me up on that. It's been a while, but I think you could back me up. Serge, you can email me and tell me. <laughs> Send you 20, Serge. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think too, I mean, touring with Mineral, you know, you did a bunch of stuff solo. Yeah. You know, your relationship with Chamberlain, Promise Ring, like, it just seemed like those things are continuing. Yeah, I, 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 I think we take care of our own, you know. It's... But that's great that it's still, it can still be that and it's oh god yeah i mean i think we'd all be fucked without it to be honest you know like i think the the musical climate that we all live in right now it's everything is so fast-paced and so everybody's attention span is so short like if we didn't kind of take care of our own i don't know you know like god knows it could you know could just like sink and like start to fizzle out so i think that's you know it's a it, it really is a beautiful thing that you know we nurture what we what what we we know it's special yeah you know everybody knows that it's special and you know we wouldn't yeah. be talking about it now if it wasn't yeah, I, it, yeah. It, there was that moment in time where those like i said that before the internet really took hold you had to have those meaningful relationships totally do you feel um you know being in texas <laughs> and you know the word emo itself did you feel that it was like a detriment back then to some things um you can totally be honest because like i sometimes feel some people are like Fuck! I wish just someone thought I was on sub pop. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there was a time. There was a time where I was like, ah, fuck! I wish we were on J Tree every once in a while, or, you know, like. But that was just like in my fiery twenties, you know. Like that was probably like before I, you know, we you just go through, whatever, you know, you just go through life and you 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 learn as you just learn as you go. I'm sure I talk shit about it at some point, but. Um, it, you know, I, I I personally never really latched on to the the the, the term emo anyway. Um, if I think essentially, if, if it brought more people to the show, then I was for it. <laughs> you know, and if it made, if it you know, maybe turned a new person turned turned somebody new onto our type of music, or I mean, not, I mean, just really limiting it to 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 me. Like uh, being selfish for this statement, like if that turned it, it somebody on to Texas is the reason or to an Atlantic Pacific record because they thought it was e- they heard that it was emo, or they heard that it was post emo or whatever, whatever the then word is, then, yeah. then I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I mean, but you can't really you can't really knock it because what what form of artistic 
expression isn't emotional. You know, if you really get right down to like the, the definition of the word. I mean, it's just, it's such a, it's such a non-issue. It's like, yeah. of course it's fucking emotional. It's art. Yeah, it's art. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's the, I mean, that's, it's funny. Some of the responses where it's, yeah, you write something like, fuck, you know, we should have, you know, should have picked the other label or that was really great because now there's people that, you know, are, are supporting it or there was a scene for it, yeah. you know, cause so many times, you know, it's, it could have just gone to the wayside. I mean, you're remembered. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's, yeah, yeah. that's what's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely <laughs> the crazy part. <laughs> um, I, the, I've told the story a couple times, but it's, I think it's worth repeating is that, I was watching Maritime in Brooklyn, mm. and Davey's up there, and there's this little kid screaming red and blue jeans at him. Oh, really? <laughs> and the whole time, just... Every I'm like, word. I'm like, no, no, screaming the song title. Oh, really? Because it's Maritime. Oh, okay. So he's not going to play the Promise Ring song. And Davey's kind of smiling and not paying attention. And then after, I remember asking him, and he was like... he, he I thought he was going to just kind of make a joke or something, but he got really serious, and he's like, you know what? That kid came out to Maritime because of Promise Ring. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically exactly <laughs> what I just said. If it gets him out, more power to him. I mean, Yell if you can't handle some you. heckling, some light heckling, then you know From you're in the wrong. Yeah, you're yeah. in the wrong fucking game. Then <laughs> you're gonna take the good with the bad. Yeah. Um, well, I definitely want to talk about this new record because yeah, I you know I am. Um, I am a lover of the genre, but I'm also very um, critical, and I think I I like things and I don't like things. Gotcha. I, and this was unexpected, yeah, and sonically beautiful. Yeah, uh, it felt it felt full, it felt open, it felt happy. Oh, good man, that's so good to hear. <laughs> um, it just it I, I I don't know if there was a you know that's just it's just great to know that after this many years you've put this into this and I hope there's 10 more of these oh thanks man thank you Tom yeah it's yeah there's a it's I'm pretty happy with it yeah I think it's got it's got I, it almost killed me <laughs> I mean it, and it, it, it devoured it, it devoured pretty like large chunks of my life and, and a lot of other people's actually like it, it took over a lot of people's lives but it it's um I'm 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 really happy with it. it, it it's it, I think it's got a good balance of light and dark, you know. And what's and you know too, and I think you've got a great label behind it that's really straddles that line of doing you know sort of what's happening, but then also remembering yeah. its forefathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a nice. <laughs> I like that one. I'll take forefathers. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I, the, the rise have been like they, they they need to get the most patient label. In America, award. <laughs> because this record should have been out a little bit earlier than it, than, it, than this coming Friday. To, you know, truth be told, but they have been. You know, they've just been super supportive the the, the entire time, and you know, just like the the, the bottom line with, with with Craig and Sean and Matthew and Mike and, and everybody else at Rise is just like they just straight up love music. Like, and, and it's so obvious in everything that they do. Like. Um, they're just they're really good at their jobs, and they because they love their jobs and they love their bands. It's um, it's really nice to be part of a. I really do feel like I'm part of the family. It's and it's been a long time since I've you know I've had like, you know you kind of like one night stands with labels yeah. most of my 
career, I guess is the word I could use. Or they kicked you out on the curb. Ex- literally, or they literally kick <laughs> me out of the band. Or that. <laughs> it's either or. <laughs> um, but now it's, you're just by yourself, so you're fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it's it's nice to be... It's nice to be counted amongst, you know, some pretty fucking heavy hitters. I mean, there's some heavy hitters on that label. You know, I'm in good company, you know, and they know how to handle big numbers. So I'm hoping that I've got, they've got some more big numbers to deal (laughs) with with me. (laughs) That's the the plan anyway. Um, You know, when, when, when people pick it up, is there any one that you think they should start with that maybe is an older fan or an old school fan track of, one. of you? Track one. Track one, as loud as your speakers will take it. I mean, right. it's, I, I, it's, it's, I put it together. I mean, it's definitely a 10 song record. Like it's, it, it's side one and side two do their own thing. It's, um, I think it's pretty concise, but I would say, yeah, start at the top track one. And then any, um, and it's, I know it's like the cliche thing, but again, you've mentioned so many, you know, cross section from the Dead Kennedys to the Red House Painters to, you know, the hardcore phase. Like, was there, what were you listening to throughout? Were there records yes. that stuck out that kind of channel, with you were kind of channeling? Um, well, a lot. I mean, one record sonically that, like, we all, like, I, I the the band that I kind of built, who kind of gathered really, I should say, like the tribe that gathered to like to create this record. Um, one, there was definitely a couple of records that we were tossing around as light references, I guess, maybe in like scope or f- vibe or feel or sometimes yeah the snare sound and sometimes yeah the bass drum sound, but. Uh, um, one that I can think of off the top of my head was um, Cat Power's Jukebox record. Mm. The sound of that record. Um, just the, the kind of openness, the, like, the liveness of that record was a big... I mean, I, number one, I love that, those songs, period. I, I, mean, I love Cat Power. But uh, <clears throat> I just really loved... It sounded like an old record to me, but it also had a lot of balls to it so listening to that i can hear that yeah because there's like this there's 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 this bass you know underling to it that makes it power but there's it's not narrow yeah 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 well cool cool um and i've just i don't know the older i get the more i listen the more like nameless faceless old like 60s and 70s reggae that i listen to i just i cannot find or buy enough of it and that definitely played a big role, I think, in the, like, I think it, it, it wormed its way into at least one or two songs in the record. But I think as far as just like the, the marriage of like the, the connection of the bass player and the drummer, um, I've always been that way anyway. I've always like I when I write lyrics and uh, melodies and whatever, like my whatever I do with like the cadence of how I'm singing 99% of the time, it's to whatever the bass drum's doing. Like, I've, I've, you can ask anybody who I've ever been in a band with, any drummer, and I bet you anything they tell you that every practice, I, I mean, I face the drummer. Like, it's, I watch their right foot, you know, I watch their right knee. That's the bass drum, you know, like, that's kind of how I gauge things. So, reggae's always, mm-hmm. you know, reggae's easy that way. You know, <laughs> you could just kind of like, it's really what all reggae is, is the, is the you know, is the, the drop. So... 
Um, I think that crept its way into the record too, because um, the bass player Joseph Orlando, um, he's just fucking got it. He's just like in the pocket the whole record. Oh, I love it's, that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it was really great to play with him. Super easy to play with him because when the bass player and the drummer have it, like literally anything else goes. Like the keyboards and the singers and the, the horns and you the guitars, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Because if the if the that they, if that if the, the pockets there. And you just dance around it. It's lovely. <laughs> um, anything else, you know, about the record that, I mean, is, are there more in the works? Are you thinking that this is, you know, a path that you, you like <coughs> as a, you know, uh, will well, it take another 20 years to make another song? No, record? no. I'm, I mean, I'm already writing. <laughs> I've, 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 I've got a couple of songs ready to go. I mean, um, but right now I, I I'm just... All of my energy, like literally at this moment, is focused on finding a band. Like that is my number one priority right now. Um, I'm starting to get some offers for tours, and um, I'm like in the process of planning tours myself. And um, I have to, you know, like I, I want a proper New York City, you know, record release extravaganza even if it's at a 70 you know a 70 seater like at a friend's place like I want you know like I need to I've got people you know there's some players who played on the record who are you know who are willing to get back into the van with me um but I'm just like I'm going through you know the Rolodex so to speak to try and find just some like-minded souls who want to get in the van and not make that much money because there's not that much money in this game anymore but you know have a lot of fun and play just play <laughs> just play music until you know until the next time <laughs> i mean i think it's it's interesting you like um you're continuing this musical sort of you're not stopping and i think that's beautiful and i think a fan of you or texas or any of the bands to know that you're still going and still playing you haven't stopped and become a lawyer or mm. whatever it is it's like you're still continuing this and i think that's something deep um, that yeah, it's probably mean, like you can't turn it off. No, I mean, and that's I mean, it's I mean, it's either a blessing or a curse, man. I mean, I don't know. I think it, it's, it's, it's one of them. I mean, it's I've I've I haven't done anything else since I was six, fifteen, or sixteen years old. You know, I've either either been in a van or in a recording studio or in a rehearsal space. You know, I've you know I've done plenty of other things in between but it's all they're always just vehicles to get me to that next you know wherever the muse is going like that's 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 where I'm fucking going and you know I I couldn't even think about stopping you know I didn't know what I would do I mean honestly I have no idea what I would do (laughs) so yeah so come uh, come by the record and come see it please don't stop I never will (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Yeah. Never home. The lines are